Hi everyone, and welcome to the next edition of the Money Mend podcast, which is designed to talk about all things finance and wealth related. Please remember, this is general advice only and does not take into account your personal circumstances. Seek professional advice which takes your individual circumstances into account before implementing any ideas or strategies mentioned in this podcast. Anyway, enough of the legal stuff. Here comes Steve and Luke. Hello, welcome to another Money Men podcast. I'm Steve May and my uh, colleague here is Luke Stiles. G'day Luke. Hi everyone, how are we? Now what are these podcasts all about Luke? Um, I think uh, for, my, for me it's about uh, financial literacy. Yep. Um, what about for you? I completely agree. I, I um, was thinking about this earlier today and it's about giving back. It's about sharing some of our knowledge from you know the front lines of financial services and yeah, just just sharing on what we've learnt and and helping people along the way. Yeah, providing you know, general information yep. and topics, and and definitely not pushing a product down people's throats. That's what we're not about. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I thought before we started off into the topics of the of the day, uh, what are you reading at the moment? Interesting question, Steve. I am reading a book called Heaven and Earth by Ian Pilner, and he's a he's an Australian geologist. Now, he is investigating effectively the impacts of um, carbon dioxide and climate change and, and, and exploring, you know, arguably more than just carbon dioxide having an, in, having an impact on climate change. And, and, and my view there is to, you know, get a balanced argument on both sides of the story and I'm just trying to educate myself. So I saw that book and saw some reviews and I'm finding it really interesting. It's good. What are you reading? Fairly deep. Oh, yeah, yeah. What you, it is. Um, hey, you asked me but what you're, I'm... You're a deep man. You asked me what I'm reading. Um, well, well, I'm, yeah, what I'm reading a book by a guy named Jordan Peterson called The Twelve Rules of Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a bit of an, an eye-opener. It, it actually makes a fair bit of sense. It's, it, again, it's a fairly deep book that is, is, it goes into a fair bit of detail around his thinking. But um, So 12 Rules for Life. Uh, my favourite is rule number nine, which is... Assume the person you are listening to might know something you don't, That's which uh, seems to be a pretty good rule for life. What are, one. I don't have any rules out of my out of my out of my book. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's the, all twelve rules are you know pretty interesting and it's a, a pretty good read. Yep. What are we going to do today? Um, first of all, we're going to have our tip of the week, mm-hmm. as we usually do. Uh, we're going to talk uh, then a little bit about uh, ethical or socially responsible yeah. investing, That'd which is, um, you know, especially in, in line with you know climate change and all those conversations yep. that are happening at the moment, and you know, improving the world. Uh, yeah. And it's rele- you know, relevant yeah, at the yeah, moment. Let's, so let's have a, a look at that. Good, good point. And then we'll uh, finish off with a couple of listener questions. So um, that's what we're doing today. Great. Let's get stuck in. Let's do it. Um, is that a beer on the table in front of you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we've decided today that we're going to have a beer while we're doing this because yeah. uh, it's uh, it's thirsty o'clock. Yep. Yeah. And we've worked hard this week. We have worked very hard. Now, we all want to be wealthy, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Commonly, people yep. uh, want... And we've discussed in previous podcasts that wealth can be different, different. for different people. Yep. Everyone's got a different uh, view of what wealth is. Yeah. But what I can tell you... Uh, and tell everyone is there is one thing you can do that will 
dramatically increase your chances of becoming wealthy? Have you got any idea, Luke, what that might be? Well, I've, I've, I'm privy to the show notes, Steve. So, uh, of course, I have some idea, but I really do like the way you're going with this, and you are going to talk about cash flow today. And, and I think it's very important that people understand that you can't necessarily dictate and command a higher wage, but you can certainly find ways to save money. You can. And I, I've called it taking control of your cash flow. I like that. That's also... The word budgeting comes into play. Mm-hmm. Budgeting's a bit scary. Um, cash flow seems a little bit boring, um, but absolutely, if you don't understand where your money is going and then how much you can free up for investing, then you'll never be able to invest and you'll never be able to reach your goals. Yeah. And you'll always be complaining about not having enough money as well. Mm. And that's stressful. You know, a lot of people yep. and families stress a lot about their money. Mm. And uh, you know, so taking control, taking some ownership of what's happening there and understanding what's happening is a very important piece of wealth creation. Yeah. Fronting the unknown. It's mm. on, it honestly, sometimes people are just not willing to talk or you know discuss where their money's going because they would prefer that they'd prefer not to know about it. Mm. There, one of the things I like about that uh, book called The Barefoot Investor mm-hmm. is that you know, there's a bit of attention paid to yep. uh, cash flow and, uh, and, and understanding and, and, and actually putting money aside for, yep. for investing in the long term. Um, I do like other things in that book as well, but uh, that's <laughs> one of the things that, that I do like. Yeah, he does raise some good points. Uh, yeah. Now, what are the ways do you think that you can try to take control of your cash flow or understand what's happening with your money? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned earlier there, Steve, budgeting. Mm-hmm. But probably building on that, budgeting tools, getting serious, getting actually serious with it and using some of the available tools that that are there, some of the resources you have. And it's amazing. Some of the banking apps now have very powerful budgeting tools. They're able to tag what mm. a, what a, what a spend is, um, what you what your income is, what your inflows are and outflows are for the month and and giving you some budgeting facilities and tools in there. But the other point, and you've talked about it before, is the Money Smart website and some of the budgeting tools and online um, tools they have there as well. So, yeah, well, so I, you're probably more familiar with the, those ones than yeah. I am. There's a, yeah, there's a few different ways. I think you know, the simple, easy way, I guess, to get started is just to use a budget worksheet. And mm. there, there are plenty out there. You know, we use one um, commonly in our business, but basically it's writing down what you spend on in each of the categories so you've got you know your your electricity bill and your car rego and your mortgage yep. and all of those sorts of things and a good budget worksheet will have all of those listed yep and uh, you work backwards and have a look at um, what you would spend on those things and it'd be interesting to actually you know handwrite it out type it out however however you want to do it and test with your bank and, and tag all your expenditure and work out exactly what you're spending. Hmm. That's, uh, it sounds complicated though, doesn't it? If you're starting to talk about tagging and um, you know bank fees and that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, so one simple way is just to, to get started is to try to understand what you're spending money on. Mm. Um, the hardest piece to understand is the discretionary st- spending bit. So mm-hmm. what do you spend on you know, eating out or alcohol or shoes or shirts or, or whatever? Um, that's always the hardest bit. Um, the, as you mentioned, the Money Smart 
gov.au um, website uh, has an online budgeting tool yep. that you can punch all those details into as well. Yep. Uh, you can save it and you can go back to it and you can uh, update it from time to time. And then, as you too mentioned, Luke, uh, there, are, there are programs that do enable you to bring in your bank fees. Yeah, more comprehensive. And They're more comprehensive, but what they do is they uh, enable you to look into the past yep. and see what you have spent in the past, yep. not what you think you spent now. Yep. And I think that's really important if you're going to take it seriously, oh. is to understand what your trends are. Well, you, yeah. you, I mean, it's a, f- a false sense of security if you're making up numbers that you think you're spending, you know, $100 on entertainment, but all of a sudden it's actually $300 that you're spending on entertainment a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you, you need it, to actually know, you need a source of truth. If you're getting to the end of the month and uh, you've got no money left, but uh, your tracking program tells you that you spent $700 at Macca's, mm. um, then there's an immediate way that you can look <laughs> to uh, rein something in. Absolutely um, agree. Mm. So yep. it's, not, it's not always a case that you can uh, understand just by doing a budget worksheet. Yep. Um, sometimes it involves going back, um, having a look at what your trends and, your, and, yep. and what your habits have been and making some changes. Yeah, and, and you build on that point and uh, we'll, move, we'll move on shortly, but it's very easy these days to spend fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and for some people, you know, thousand dollars after tax per week that might be their income. That is five percent of your wage. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money to just be able to to easily spend. Mm, absolutely. So the point here is that whatever method that you may choose to use, either on your own or with the assistance of uh, of someone who mm. can guide you and help you, is that. Until you take control of it and understand mm-hmm. it, you've got Buckley's chance of achieving real wealth, yeah. in my view. Absolutely agree. So there you go. Um, that program that I spoke about is myprosperity.com.au, but there are others. Yeah. Um, that's the one that, that we utilize. Yeah, that's the one that, yep. that we, we utilize. Um, it's yeah, very powerful. It's a good record of wealth as well. It yeah. enables you to keep track of where, where you're at and at, a, at, at your wealth. Uh, level Um, but there are plenty out there main point is take control of your cash flow Mm -hmm. and you've got far a far greater chance of becoming wealthy whatever that means to you yeah no cool thanks Steve right moving right along our next topic is uh, is something that's becoming increasingly uh, popular or at least people are showing a lot of interest in this type yeah. of investing and it's called in, in the marketplace ethical or socially responsible investing. Yep. Now, regardless of your views around climate change and man-made climate change and whatever, I don't think it's it's really there to be argued that if we can do things that are responsible mm. um, to minimise any impact of um, humans and businesses on the world, yep. then that's, that's, that's only going to be good, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And it means there's more left over for everyone to share and mm. ultimately a build, uh, you know, a compounding build of wealth. Yeah. And that's the motivation for that growing market of um, ethical or socially responsible investments. And, you know, a lot of super funds are now uh, looking to go yep. down that path and are offering that. And there are plenty of, uh, starting to be plenty of managed funds and exchange-traded funds, etc., um, that are, have a leaning towards yeah. socially responsible investing um, and, you know, ethical investing. So I thought today mm-hmm. that we might just work through 
some of the pros and cons yeah. um, of that type of investment. Very, very, very responsible of you, Steve. It is very responsible. I, yeah, I can be quite responsible when I want to be. Yeah. Um, so. So tell me about the pros. The pros. Let's start with the pros. All That's right. always a, you know, yeah. Listen, there's a feel-good factor, isn't there? Yeah. You know, if you're investing in in companies and industries, I guess that are um, that are doing good for the world or not doing bad for the world. Yeah. Then you're helping, I guess, play your part in uh, in ensuring our world is a better place. Absolutely. Why why wouldn't you want to invest into a company, a factory or sorry, a company or an industry that is, you know, improving the well-being of the environment and everything else around it? Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, but you feel good. You, yep. you, it's a way that by you know using the money that you're investing, that you're actually playing a part in improving yep. our, our lot in in life. It's a good way of putting it, Steve. Our lot in life. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe investing in socially driven managed accounts or, or investments yep. um, can result in improved profits uh, for the companies that, uh, or you're getting exposure to improved profits, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yep. Um, as those companies may have more engaged workforces yep. um, and better cultures um, and better ways of doing things. Yeah, so I think I think on your point, a socially responsible business or an ethical business isn't necessarily talking about how it operates in the environment around it, but it could be a combination of how it treats its employees. And mm-hmm. by having a business that is ethical and socially responsible with its employee and workforce might actually, well, I think it's proven, but I think it would obviously lead to a more efficient and productive workforce and that may translate to more profits to that business. So really good point there around driving change. If you're putting money into socially responsible businesses, you're encouraging that that growth effectively, and you're exposed to the the growth of those types of businesses. Hmm, Yeah, Uh, as consumers, shift more towards ethically driven purchases mm. so I guess especially the younger generations are starting to be more conscious about yep. um, their purchases um, and that potentially people are prepared to pay more for product that is ethically and socially driven um, could translate to better profits yep. um, as a result of, of that bent that the, that the yep. business has. Um, you know, you're driving change. Uh, you're, you're helping companies that are doing good for the world. Yep. Um, you know, achieve. So they're, you know, they're, the they're, they're the, they're the real positives, mm. aren't they? Now, what are the what are the neg- negatives? You know, there's negatives with everything, but yep. um, one of, one of the big things with it is there. Are, yeah, this there, is a good point. Yeah, <laughs> what, what's the definition of ethical? Yeah. Or socially responsible? Yeah. How long's a piece of string? It is. Um, so you'd need to dig a little bit into the policies of the investment um, and the managers that are managing that investment to understand what their view of ethical is or socially responsible is because their view may be different to yours. Yeah, and just because there's a title of ethical Mm -hmm. in the fund prospectus or managed fund advertisement doesn't necessarily mean that it aligns with your ethical views. Hmm. So... Just say you have a strong leaning against any company that um, builds armaments, mm-hmm. you know, tanks and mm-hmm. bullets and 
things like that. Yep. I guess that's what you what armaments are. Yep. That might be your leaning, but that ethical investment may not have that leaning and believe that it's okay for those things to be in the investment. In the investment, yeah. 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 So um, their filter may only, when they're purchasing investments on behalf of the investors, their filter might only include, we don't like coal mines, so they might it. not own hmm. businesses exposed to coal mines, but there might not be anything in there in relation to armaments or tobacco for that matter, which is, which is often... Um, some of the examples that you know, I'll certainly see where I'm digging down into an ethical investment and find that, yes, although they have an ethical tilt, their filter definitely covers different, you know, different elements. They they may not have mines, but they're but they're okay with supporting the tobacco and alcohol industry. And, and depending on where you stand, that that might not suit your ethical filter. So don't just go off, you know, the headline. And, hmm. the, and the and the book yeah dig deeper you they may their filter may exclude companies that build armaments but may not exclude companies that lend money to companies that build armaments exactly right so, so, you, so you, need, you need, just need to dig dig and understand that uh, you're aligned with the philosophy of the investment manager it's very hard it's not as it's not as easy as just saying yeah. hey I, I want to be ethical and and I want to potentially put my investments whether it be in your super fund or not, or whatever it might be, into the invest, you know, into the ethical investment option, it's absolutely not as straightforward as that. Yeah, there's you know there's a bit of time, so time and research. You, you probably do need to um, spend a bit more time and, mm-hmm. and effort understanding what the investments are if you're looking to um, exclude certain types of activities um, from you know from getting your money. Yep. Potentially higher fees too, um, mm-hmm. because the fund managers uh, and manager of the, of the investment have to, you know, dig and deep. understand, dig yep. deep and understand uh, what it is that the companies that they're investing in do and don't do. Yep. Um, so potentially more research than the standard fund manager next to them they have to undertake yeah, and, and apply an additional yeah. filter to ensure that that business is ethical. Yeah. So and that, that costs money. It does cost money and, and perhaps those higher fees could eat into the returns of the portfolio. Yeah, if um, they don't translate into yeah, in higher performance. performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, perhaps investing in ethical or socially responsible strategies um, may not provide optimal returns because you might be excluding... Um, Investments or markets that are highly profitable. Yep. Um, so, you know, maybe coal mining is highly profitable, and if you take that out of a portfolio, then you miss yeah, out on yeah, that. Yeah, you miss um, out on the upside in, in yeah. relation to that industry for applying yeah. the ethical filter. Now, listen, that may well be worthwhile in your view. Uh, if you if you want to do that, um, that's fine. But mm. yeah, you need to understand that it could be an effect on your returns. I, I, I'm actually mm. going to just. It wasn't on the show notes, Steve, but. In the higher fees um, point you raised and, and ethical investing being front of mind for a lot of people at the moment, don't think that the funds management industry won't necessarily feed off that interest. And, and when I say that, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but the fund, funds management industry is firstly there for themselves and there for the investor secondly. So if there's an opportunity for them to make money out of this theme in society at the moment, they absolutely will. Yeah, so not all, not all, Luke. Not <laughs> all. 
Fair enough. <laughs> I think Steve governing Steve governing me there, but I'm 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 being a bit of a pessimist. But I'm just uh, I think it's important to be conscious that uh, things can become a fad. Yeah, I ha- I've got an example here of you know potentially the effect of um, not having certain industries in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I've I just went this morning. I went to the Care Super um, website and had a look at. Yep. At their returns, and I, I'm loath to mention a specific, you know, provider yeah, or yeah. superannuation fund. Of course, but, you know, and don't take this as anything negative at all about Care Super, but uh, or their sustainable option. But their Care Super's balanced option, their vanilla balanced yep. option. Um, Just over, anyone would get get into that fund if they're a member of it. Yeah, uh, that's where much. you'd probably um, start off in. So its ten-year average return is eight point seven three percent. Um, it's sustainable balanced option. So the sustainable balance yep. rather than just the balance. So that's that would exclude some types yep. of industries. The ethical yeah, yeah. fund. So, um, the ethical fund uh, has returned 8.29. So about half a percent yep. uh, difference over, over 10 years. Now, I haven't dug deep and worked out exactly why, what that, why that may be, mm-hmm. but their asset allocation, so their exposure to shares is pretty much the same. Yep. Um, so there's a reason in there, um, and it's translated to lower returns yeah. in that particular option. Now, that doesn't mean that all sustainable or ethical funds will underperform. No. But here's an example of where it's it a, has. It's a live point. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a live example there. And 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 that and that's, a, yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Yeah, and listen, if you, you may well feel that that's, that difference in return is worth it because you, you're doing good. Exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, building on Steve's point, it's not pointing out one product over another. It's just saying that, hey, um, sometimes these higher fees that are, in, you know, embedded in, in the fund manager's operation to actually filter out these ethical investments may translate to lower performance. And that's uh, that's arguably a live example of that. Yeah, and it's not the end of the world that it does. No, so, you know, it's absolutely. It could well, well and truly be an acceptable price to pay um, yeah. to improve the world. I've actually got a point on that as well, and, and this is just business in Australia in general and, and international. internationally. I think that naturally businesses will be forced to be more ethical, be more socially responsible, and by and large, you just owning these businesses, you're going to be owning ethical businesses anyway, mm-hmm. because the public will vote with their feet, and they won't own companies that don't, you know, fit fit their expectations effectively. So I think, I think by hunting, I, I think sometimes by hunting for these ethical investments, you're actually doing you you may be doing yourself a disservice. And this is this is my view. I think by naturally. Um, that these businesses will just become ethical over time, and you've and you've seen it in some of the largest banks in Australia. They've made big calls around not funding, certain not funding things, yeah. certain certain industries, certain, and, certain businesses, industries yeah. and businesses yeah. that that are you know arguably not not uh, fitting their ethical filter. So yep. yeah, so ethical, socially responsible investing, not for everyone, um, but for an increasing number of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, we thought we'd. Uh, it's out there in the markets, it's creating a lot of conversation at the yeah. moment. We thought we'd just have a look at the pros and cons. As usual, get good advice before you invest in anything. Yeah, correct. We're going to take a quick break now for an ad. Excellent. And we'll Looking be back very soon. See you in a minute.
At Steve May Financial Services, we know how daunting the idea of seeing a financial planner can be. Bearing your financial soul to a person you don't even know doesn't sound like fun, does it? That's why we believe in being approachable and being ourselves. Our mission is to provide uncomplicated, affordable and personalised financial advice to those who normally wouldn't get it. Contact us for a friendly, no-pressure consultation to get your financial stuff sorted. Steve May Financial Services, www.stevemayfs.com.au Welcome back here with the Money Men, hey. Steve and Luke. How are you? It's time for listener questions. Uh, we have two today. Uh, we have uh, a question from Anne. Very nice. And we have a question from, who's our second question? Yeah, Daniel. Daniel. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, Steve, you, you, you go with Anne's question first. I I'll go with a, Anne's I think it's question. a great question. So Anne, Anne tells us that she's 63 years old and I plan to retire in a few years and I'm worried about how much I'll need to spend to have a comfortable life. How much does the average person person need income-wise in retirement? That's a good question. So it's a question we'll often see. Yeah, it's often asked, isn't it? Yeah, often and, asked. Yeah, when, yes. pe- when people are starting to think about their retirement, um, they, they're trying to yep. understand and, and work out how much they need. It's the how much, yep. Unfortunately, Anne, it's different for everyone. Yep. <laughs> um, just as everything in life is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is different for everyone. Uh, you'd have, you know, the reality is that you'd want to do a little bit of work on understanding what your spending habits yep. are and what you want and expect in retirement to support the lifestyle that you yep. want. But that's too uh, too much of a wishy-washy answer, <laughs> isn't it? Um, <laughs> it is. But luckily, um, you know, we can give people a bit of a guide we'll around talk to what, some of the points, yeah, yeah around and what, yeah. You know, around what the average is or what yep. or what people need to be comfortable in retirement generally Absolutely. on average. Remember, there's no such thing as the average person. No. You know, the average uh, is often quoted, but um, you know, for every average, there's you know people above and people below, and yep. uh, and everyone's different. But there's a there's a group called the Association of Super Funds, ASFA, ASFA. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Now you can find their information at a website called superannuation.asn.au. Mm-hmm. We'll put that in our in our meeting notes yep. uh, on the platform. So, what do they do, Steve? They do lots of different things, but one of the things that they do is they put out a handy guide mm-hmm. uh, every so often around what is needed for an average Australian to have a modest yep. or a comfortable okay. retirement standard. And yep, yep. And um, I like it. I think it's it's very very interesting. It's a good base to work from, really. Uh, potentially yeah. a good base to work from. Or potentially is, and 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 it's built around you know the assumption that a person is or a person or couple is is healthy mm-hmm. and they own their own home. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you're not healthy, there are more costs, and yep. if you don't own your own home, there's rent and things to yeah, cover. Yep. But yep. So a modest retirement is considered to be you know slightly better than the age pension, but still only able to afford fairly basic activities. Yep. And then a comfortable retirement. And I'll read read from the website what it means. Enables an older, healthy retiree to be involved in a broad range of leisure Mm -hmm. and recreational activities. Yep. And be able to purchase things such as household goods, private health insurance, Mm -hmm. a reasonable car, good clothes, uh, and domestic 
travel and occasionally international travel. Yeah. So that sounds all right, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. A comfortable lifestyle. And actually looking at this, what sort of surprises me, and I know obviously we do we do this as a day job, but you look at the numbers, they're actually not as high as I would have otherwise thought hmm. to live a modest or comfortable lifestyle. Yeah, so for a couple, a modest lifestyle needs about just over forty thousand dollars to support. Yep. Okay. What's that? Uh, Eight hundred a week. Yeah, yeah. thereabouts. Yes. There, there, yeah. Thereabouts. That's assuming that they own their own home. So for a couple, about forty thousand, and for a single person, that's a modest lifestyle is considered to need twenty-eight thousand dollars a year, which doesn't sound very high, does it? No, it actually, yeah. So that that and and that's. What that twenty eight's just a, a little bit above, as you pointed out earlier, a little bit above the age pension or full age pension. Yeah, and remember, modest is able to afford fairly basic activities. And modest and comfortable mm-hmm. are very different to different people. They are, as we said, everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Um, comfortable lifestyle. Uh, well, Asfa says that a couple would need just over sixty two thousand yep. dollars a year to be able to fund a comfortable lifestyle. Remember, you know, occasional international holiday travel, you know, yep. nice, you know, reasonable clothes, reasonable car, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So that's about 1,200 bucks a week? Yep, yep, yep. And then a single person um, needs about $44,000 okay. per annum. Yep. So, that, you know, that's uh, that's what the research tells us yep. and that's what ASFER is telling us. Um, my view and, and the, the fact of the matter is that everyone is different. Absolutely. You know? So you know, we, you know, I've seen people who need $150,000 a year to be comfortable. Yeah. Well, actually, they don't need it, but they want $150,000 no, no, a year to be comfortable. And uh, I've told the story before about, uh, maybe not on the podcast, but uh, you know, the guy who lives in a caravan, wakes up in the morning, goes and has, has a fish, has a beer with his mates in the afternoon, goes to bed at 7 o'clock and repeats, and that's his perfect life. Yeah. And, and he doesn't need much money to do that. No, and and, and, and he would define his lifestyle as being comfortable. So it's pretty pretty interesting. But I'm, I think on the point, it's not as much as... I always look at the figures and think it's actually not as much as you would otherwise think. But I guess one of the core points in there is... The assumption is the house is paid off. Hmm. So there's a big expenditure item that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And the other thing too to remember is that potentially the age pension mm-hmm. can uh, be a fair portion of that, uh, that money. Yeah. Um, so you know, full age, a full age pension could be more than half of that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it means that you don't necessarily have to have accumulated a massive amount of uh, assets or super. Yeah. You don't have to be self-funded potentially. Yeah. yeah. My view is it's always better to be self-funded if you can. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, you don't want to be. Yeah. Of course, you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be uh, if you didn't have to be yeah. relying on the relying on the government. But it's a very valid point. Is that a lot of these figures here? Um, could, could potentially be funded through a combination of the age pension and your own investments. And, and yeah, yeah, back to your point, you probably or potentially don't need as much money as you might otherwise be hearing on the media. And often the figures of, you know, a million dollars are thrown around to hmm. to enjoy that comfortable lifestyle. And look, looking at this today, it's potentially not the case. But, hey, as we pointed out before, uh, bad news makes good news it does it does 
So hope that throws a little bit of light on things mm-hmm. for you. And the, the other thing that we don't know about and when answering this question is whether she is single or a couple yeah, or the, well, a homeowner or, yep. or what. So, so, so many variables mm-hmm. that, you know, we can talk to the basics, but we can't we can't talk to you mm. directly or about your situation. Yeah. And very important uh, for people contemplating retirement to get some form of advice mm-hmm. so that they actually know what options are available to uh, them. Yeah. Clarity around these decisions is very important. So we'll move into probably probably move into our second question, and I'll um I'll cover that one if you're right, if you're all right with that, Steve. You go for it, and I'll throw my two bobs worth in. Cool, I like that. So Daniel is thirty nine, and his question this this afternoon is: I've been told that negative gearing will save me tax. Is that right? So this is a really really in- interesting question. And I guess the technical answer is, yes, you will save tax, but what I'm going to do is just run through a really basic example to hopefully give you a bit of an understanding of how it all works. So here's my example. Purchase a property worth $500,000 with a loan of $500,000. So that that would mean in in the real world that you're using the equity in your current home to help support the lending on the investment property. Yep. That, that right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And and guys, just for the purpose of the exercise, I'm going to run through it really, you know, really high level, really basic. So on that loan, just assume that it's a 4% interest rate. So on that $500,000, you've got 20 grand per annum of interest expense. Haven't included anything in relation to loan principal or anything like that. Other costs on the property might include rates and insurance and repairs. Just assume that's $5,000. So you've got total operating costs of the property of $25,000. Let's say it generates an income of $21,840 a year. So, so that, that's, that's $420, 420, yeah, $420 a week. A week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brand, yeah. Yep, Would, yep, high level, might not be that. What's the basics? You've got income of... 21840 a year, and you've got total costs of $25,000 a year. That's your interest and your, repair, your repairs and insurance. From a negative gearing perspective, you are now officially negatively geared. Why is that? Your losses or your, ex- sorry, your expenses exceed your income. And by what amount? Well, it's the 25 grand less, less your income. And so the loss is, yeah, sorry, your loss is running at 3160 so you're making a net loss on the property of 3160 what do you do with that that loss is then translated into your taxable income as a deduction and then that actually reduces your tax payable by your marginal tax rate and we've assumed here that it's highest marginal tax rate at 39 cents in the dollar uh, sorry it's not the highest second highest marginal tax rate my bad um, and that would reduce your tax owing bill by $1,232. So, what does this all mean? Well, it has has reduced the tax, hasn't it? Has reduced has the tax, hasn't so it, as the, I just said there. So the simple answer to the question, mm-hmm. and nothing's ever simple, but no. the simple answer to the question is that, yeah, it will save you tax. If you do need, if you do purchase a property and it's negatively geared, you'll save tax. Correct. But what? What's the catch? Well, Steve, the catch is, the catch is that it's cost me money to get 
to get that tax deduction. Mm-hmm. And it's cost me money by the amount that I've lost. So I've run that loss into my tax return, less the benefit of the tax deduction, which is the point there of $1,232. So it's actually cost me $1,928. And how have I got that number? I've subtracted the loss, so the 3160 that's the actual tax loss, against the reduced tax bill of 1232 That's given me a figure of 1928 That means that I'm still out of pocket by that amount. Yep. And I'm actually truly making a loss. You are. Yeah, so that's why it's called negative gearing, isn't it? Because yeah. there's a negative cash flow yeah, position. But um, now, it's not, it's not it's, as... It's a, yeah, this is a high-level example. There are far more things to consider. There are other things <laughs> that you can write off on the property and all that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, stuff, yeah. but we don't want to go down that path in a podcast. Yep. Um, we can't show you diagrams and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the concept is you spend more to hold that property mm-hmm. than what it is earning you. Yes. So there is a loss. And you get some of that loss recouped through a lower, yeah, yeah a tax, L- a lower, ta- a lower yeah. tax bill. Lower tax some, bill. some of Correct. it is recouped. That's why you do it. Some yeah. of it's recouped, but you are still paying money to hold that property. Correct. Um, and yeah, that's what's called negative gearing. Um, now, obviously, it doesn't sound really sensible to hold an asset that's mm-hmm. going to be costing you money year in and year out. So there's a couple of things to remember here. Number one is that, yeah, sure, it might be negatively geared now, but the longer that you hold the property, um, the more likely it is that rents will increase and yep. uh, it, it may be that over time that you earn more from the property than what you're then spending it and it will become then positively yeah, 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 geared. Yeah, um, correct. Um, now, some people say that um, positive gearing isn't a good thing. I've actually heard it said is that uh, people have come to me and said, Listen, um, we, you know, positive, sorry, negative gearing is worse than positive gearing. I say, well, positive gearing is better than negative gearing. And, and the reason <laughs> is, yeah, sure, you, you actually make a profit and you have to pay tax on that. But that's better than making a loss yeah. and getting some of it back. It, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, honest, honest, and, you know, that's the way that the industry has been, um, you know, some, some people discuss in the industry that negative gearing is good. Um, yeah, it is under the presumption that at some point, you are going to outstrip the losses that you've made by owning that loss, making asset, whatever it might be. Um, but in an ideal world, and I would arguably say that being positively geared makes sense because it means your income or your earnings from whatever the asset is, is exceeding your costs. Yeah. And paying a little bit of tax along the way, and that's all it is, it's a little bit of tax along the way, means that you're making money. Yeah, on, the, on that cash flow and income and yes. expenses side of things. So what really has to happen with um, with a with an asset that you're negatively gearing? So yeah, we, when we talk about negative mm. gearing, we, people are generally talking about property, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You can negative gear other investments, but just say it's a property, yep. which is you know, probably ninety percent of cases. Yeah. What what needs to happen for that to be a good investment long term? Well, you raise two good points. At some point, the income needs to exceed the cost. So your valid point there was rents increasing. But I, I think the I think the core one there is is the assumption that the property is sold for more money than what it was bought for, more money than what it cost, and that in turn is your profit. And by holding it at a loss making 
Um, so, so if you're going to hold it and it's going to lose you money on a cash flow basis, yeah, you want the value of that property and what you sell it for to be more than what it's cost you to hold on to it yes, along the way. Correct. Yeah, you pulled the words out of my mouth. I'm good at that. <laughs> so, what generally? does that for a person who's investing it's time yeah and it's choosing the investment wisely Mm -hmm. and it's being patient yep is my view no i totally agree and and but it's but it's not about getting caught up in the if you're negatively geared or not negatively geared or you're neutrally geared um i mean ultimately isn't that just noise in the background it is yeah um so hopefully that's a you know, it gives you yeah. a little bit of an understanding. Uh, who's this question from? Daniel. That's from Daniel. So Sorry, Daniel. Yeah, I so forgot your name. Um, gives you a little bit of an understanding. Yes, technically, if you do purchase an asset and yep. it's negatively geared, then technically, you do save some tax on what the position would have been otherwise if you yep. weren't able to claim that loss. But you are still spending more still money, spending more money you than you had, than you were before you took out the investment. Correct. Is that right? Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. So the investment has to be a good investment yep. and has to be likely to grow in value well over the period of time that you hold it. Absolutely, which is sometimes easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, get good advice, Daniel, mm-hmm. um, with anything that you do investing-wise, but especially when you're starting to look at something that's obviously new for you, uh, and you know, where you're going to have to borrow a large amount of money to do it. <laughs> exactly right. So, Luke. All right. We're out of time. Yep. Um, thanks for yeah, joining thanks me so for, much, for, a, for a beer, and thanks everyone for yeah. for joining yeah. us and listening in again. Happy to have a beer anytime. Hmm. Until next time, it's bye from the money man. Yep. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>